This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Bink Sunday. And this is a fun one, man. I know that uh, the last couple weeks have been fun as well. Raiders, Raiders week's always the same. Packers was uh, watered down a little bit by the fact that Aaron Rodgers wasn't out there. But this one, this one against the Cowboys feels like a legit Super Bowl preview. Now, that depends how much you want to buy into the results we saw last week. But if you are a believer that that was the real version of the Chiefs, as opposed to the outlier based off what we've seen this year, then yeah, this could be a Super Bowl preview, Chiefs versus Cowboys. But it's up to the Chiefs to decide whether or not that's actually going to be the case. I am Nick Schwert, Grant Nicholson with me here on Bink Sunday. We'll talk to Pete Sweeney of Arrowhead Pride coming up at the top of the next hour. We have essentially seen three different versions of the Chiefs this year. The first month and a half, we'll just use one word, volatility, volatile. That is how you would describe the Chiefs. Every offensive drive ended in a turnover or a touchdown, and that was good enough to beat the Browns in week one. It was good enough to beat the likes of the Eagles and Washington, but you lost to every good team you played. All the legit teams in the AFC, seemingly all of whom the Chiefs had on their schedule, Baltimore, L.A., Buffalo, they outmatched you. Then we saw this about two or three week span there where the Chiefs were winning games despite the fact that they didn't look all that good. Let's call this the, the risk-averse version of the Chiefs. This was the team we saw versus Tennessee. We saw them versus New York. We saw them versus Green Bay. That was trying to be this methodical offense that wanted to dink and dunk their way down the field. But they were clearly uncomfortable doing it. Like we saw the game script, the first 15, and they were doing the short passing game. They were running the ball more. But they soon got away from it, and they said, this is not what we are. This is not the Chiefs offense. Call it arrogance. Call it... Uh, stubbornness for whatever reason they sort of fell back into what they wanted to do which wasn't available based off the way the teams were playing them and this was the team that wasn't putting up touchdowns this was the team that scored three points against Tennessee that was getting narrow victories against teams quarterbacked by Daniel Jones and Jordan Love but this new identity that we saw for those couple of weeks 
was coupled with massive improvements on defense, which is why in those games versus the Giants and the Packers that they were actually able to win. They finally got healthy. Frank Clark started getting on the field and giving you more production. Chris Jones playing back where he's more effective on the inside. Less Ben Neiman, less Dan Sorensen on the field. Melvin Ingram comes in the past two weeks. These are all good things. Then the third version of the Chiefs, which really I think is only a one-game sample, on an island all by itself was the Chiefs we saw last week against the Raiders. I don't think there's any other game this season where you could say that was the other time we saw this Chiefs because that was easily the most impressive game we've seen from Kansas City all year. The Chiefs team that didn't turn the ball over and the offense was moving the ball down the field, scoring at will. That's the Chiefs offense we thought we were going to get all year, and it took 10 weeks, but we finally saw it last week. Now, I think some of that can be attributed to Gus Bradley, the Raiders DC, and the way that they decided to completely disregard the quote-unquote blueprint that had been laid out on how to slow the Chiefs' offense down. You know, two high safeties, setting everybody else back in coverage, rushing four, uh, mugging up Travis Kelsey at the line of scrimmage because you know how much off-script Kelsey likes to play. They basically said, we're not going to let you run free underneath. We're going to mug it up. We're going to screw up the timing with the new offensive tackles that the Chiefs are playing, with the injuries at right tackle. There was just... You saw the the uncomfortable Patrick Mahomes back there. And now he didn't have his safety blanket to rely upon when everything else broke down. It was really, really effective. And the Raiders just decided to say, you know what? We don't care about any of that. We know that uh, there's plenty of sample sizes this year to say that's what works against this Chiefs offense. We're going to do what we do. And Patrick Mahomes looked like the old Patrick Mahomes last week. Now you play Dallas who is arguably the best team you've faced all season. Number one scoring offense in the NFL. Those first two versions of the Chiefs likely aren't going to be enough to get it done to get today against the Cowboys. If you're turning the ball over, or even if you're handing the ball to the Cowboys offense via a punt, they're going to make you pay. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You're going to have to put points on the board if you want to win today. The Cowboys only have two losses this season, week one versus the Buccaneers when we didn't even know the Cowboys were a legit contender. And then the head scratcher two weeks ago against Denver, which I think the game just kind of got away from them. And sometimes you just sort of throw in the towel, which is it looked like that's what the Cowboys did. That one doesn't really make any sense. But in both of those games, the other team put 30 on the board versus Dallas. That's probably a good barometer for the Chiefs offense today. Put up 30 if you want to have a chance to win. And we know the Chiefs are capable of this. They've done it five times this year, scoring 30 in a game. But ask yourself this. Here's the question I want you to answer. How many of those games did the Chiefs actually impress you in route to scoring 30? It was a sloppy week one versus Cleveland. Same can be said in the wins over Philly and Washington. I don't think anybody left that Philly game, even though they put up 42 and, and felt good like about where this team was headed. Same thing for the Washington game, and it took them two halves to really get going, or two quarters, excuse me. You looked pretty clean for the first three quarters versus Baltimore, and then we saw some really uncharacteristic turnovers from Mahomes late that ultimately cost him the game. So that effectively leaves one game. One game. Last week versus Vegas. And that's what I want to know. Which version of these three versions, if we're just to boil it down to three different types of Chiefs teams that we've seen this year, which one do you think 
is the real Chiefs. Hit me up on the Jay Southland Toe Service text line, 913-576-7610. Which of those three versions do you think is the real Chiefs? Because the one we saw last week, that has to be the one that we see today. If this truly is going to be a Super Bowl preview, the volatility, that won't play today. If you're having bad turnover luck, whether it's on your end or it's just bad luck, whether it's drop passes, Mahomes overthrowing, whether it's just defenders making plays, Trayvon Diggs doing what he's done all year, doesn't matter how it gets there. If it happens, it's not going to be enough to win. The risk-averse style won't play today. You have to expect that the Dallas D.C. Dan Quinn is going to have a better game plan ready for Mahomes and this offense than we saw last week from the Raiders. So that means this Chiefs offense has to be ready to plod. They have to be ready to nickel and dine the Cowboys all day and take what's available underneath. And that may mean a lot of dump-offs. That may mean a lot of quick throws to Hill, five yards downfield, or the checkdowns to Edwards Hilaire or Darrell Williams from the backfield. You can't expect they're going to give you what you want the way the Raiders did last week. That was the first time that we saw Mahomes look really comfortable doing that. We know that there has been sort of this slow transition into saying, okay, if this is the way teams are going to defend us, then I guess we will sort of adjust. We will sort of find a new identity. And maybe you give them a little bit of a pass for having to do that on the fly. Maybe they didn't do it as quickly as we would have liked to have seen. But we are seeing that transition. We are seeing them adapt a little bit what they want to do. The Raiders had a uh, a big hand in making life look easy for Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense. Is is the swagger, right? Cuz we've heard that that term tossed around a lot this week, Grant, is that the Chiefs got their swagger back last week. And you heard it after the game, right? You do. You see Travis Kelsey doing it at, in the post-game interview. You heard Patrick Mahomes talking about it afterwards as well. You can just feel it that whether it was real or fake, like confidence can be very intoxicating. And it can, even if it's not earned, if you just find a way to manufacture that confidence, if you get that swagger back, if you have that chip on your shoulder, sometimes that's all you need. Do you think that the, the swagger that the Chiefs gained from that win versus Vegas, is that going to be enough to propel them into a second-half turnaround? Because we're going to find out today. What sucks for the Chiefs in the the hole that they sort of dug themselves in early in the year is that if they would have won just one of those games against L.A. or Tennessee or Baltimore or Buffalo, you would feel like there's a little bit of wiggle room. You would say, okay, you know what? You You could look good in a losing effort today. And I still think that's the case. Like, tell me, answer this for me, Grant. If the Chiefs lost today 34-31, to the offense was humming, moving the ball downfield, but, you know, Dallas just made one extra play, right? They got that one extra first down. They just had the ball last, drive down the field, kick a game-winning field goal. Do you think it's possible that the Chiefs could lose a close game look good in the process, and we actually are sitting here tomorrow feeling better about where this team is at here heading into the second half of the season? I mean, I think it's I think it's definitely possible. I think it's probably unlikely. 
it feels like you need a win for them to to feel like they're all the way back, especially because it was the momentum off the game from last week. And you see him do the oh my swagger's back and all that. Like you kind of want to see a win against a good team before you're. Yeah, I mean, at, taking I mean, the losses as wins. At some point, you have to play the results, right? Like at some point, you have to say you have to be willing to say, listen, yes, you can look good in a loss. But with the losses that you accrued early in the season, like you do need one of those big wins. I, but but I still think, even if it won't necessarily make us feel good about their standings and where they're at in the playoff hunt and where they're at in, in an effort to, if you still think they're alive for the one seed, which, I mean, at this point, we're going to get into this later, but say what you want about who you think the real teams in the AFC are and how far behind the eight ball you think the Chiefs are. They're the three seed right now at six and four, or the four seed, excuse me, because of tiebreakers. But like mathematically, they're two games out of first place. And there's a lot of football left to be played. And history would suggest that just because the Titans have been really good to start this season does not mean that they are just going to cruise down the stretch, even though they maybe have the easiest remaining schedule of any team in the NFL. But I do think that the Chiefs, if they just come out and look good against a good team, because the last time we saw them play a good team, like a really good team, was Tennessee. And it was the worst game we've seen them play all year since then. They played a Daniel Jones-led Giants team, looked bad in the winning effort. Then they played a Jordan Love-led Packers team, looked bad in a winning effort. And last week, as impressive as they looked, the more weeks go by, the more we're starting to look at the Raiders and saying, maybe this is sort of the team we thought they were going to be before the season. They seem to have kind of lost their way offensively. This is a Cowboys team. We know what they do. They are incredible offensively. I like to spread you around. Not having Amari Cooper today hurts a lot. It sounds like they're going to be out without Smith, their starting left tackle as well. That hurts a lot as well. So this is not a Cowboys team that is playing at 100%. But this is still the number one scoring offense in the NFL and a vastly improved defensive team. This is not going to be an easy test. So even looking good against the Cowboys would be a step in the right direction. But I'm kind of playing both sides because I do think they can look better. I feel like we can feel better about where this team is at, even if they look good in a losing effort. But uh, you are sort of in the business of accruing wins. That's why I don't think you can really complain about the Cowboys or the, the Giants win. I don't think you can really complain about the Packers win because you just needed to get wins. And you have. And now left to their own devices, a lot of these other quote-unquote power players in the AFC have found a way to screw it up. We'll talk more about that coming up later on. I think this is a huge chess match game between Steve Spagnuolo and Kellen Moore, who is quickly becoming one of the hot up-and-coming play callers in the NFL. I mean, they're basically running a Boise State offense where we're going to put four guys on the right side of the field. Let's see how that, and let's see how you guys adjust. We're going to put a, a lineman in the backfield. Like, what are you going to do? Right, right? It's a chess match to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to see how you adjust. I'm going to see where the answers are and see if there's anywhere we can exploit you. Chiefs defense has looked vastly improved over the past month or so, but this is easily the toughest test you've went up against. Coming up next, despite the fact that the offense has not looked the way we expected them to, it has not affected the production of one player. We'll talk about that on the other side. This is Bink Sunday on 610 Sports Radio. You're listening to Bink Sunday on your official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. 
Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. It's Bink Sunday on 610 Sports Radio. If you'd like to join the conversation, hit me up on the Jay's Southland Toe Service text line, 913-576-7610. Somebody from the 432. What's the 432 area code? I am unfamiliar with that. According to the last two years, the real Chiefs were in Vegas last week. I would tend to agree with that. I think the caveat would be that That was the first time all season we have seen a defensive coordinator just say, screw it, we're running what we want to run. We're not going to run the defensive style that has seemed to work pretty well in slowing the Chiefs down this year. So West Texas area code. West Texas. West Texas, the Pony Basin. Shout out to El Paso. Shout out Lubbock. Maybe it's a Mahomes. Maybe it's a Texas Tech Mahomes fan. There we go. Yeah, I mean, you look at last week, you know what was... You know what was very similar last week to what the Chiefs have done for the past two years? Uh, Lots of Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. That was the first time we've seen Kelsey look like Kelsey in a little while. Eight catches, 119 yards. Darrell Williams, how about that? That's not the Chiefs of old. That's not the Chiefs in the last two years. Darrell Williams, the leading pass catcher in terms of receptions. He had nine of them. 101 yards and one touchdown. Didn't peg Darrell Williams for a receiving back. But you know what? The guy actually I want to talk about right now is Tyreek Hill. Seven catches, 83 yards, two touchdowns last week. Despite the fact that the Chiefs offense hasn't been exactly what we expected this year, it has not had any noticeable effect on Tyreek Hill's production, which is absurd when you think about what makes him so special and how teams have sort of changed how they're defending him this year. For the longest time, the sentiment around him was that he was one of the best deep threats in the NFL, and then it sort of became that he was one of the best deep threats ever. And then over the past year, year and a half, two years, the conversation then shifted, and it became a question of, is he the best receiver in the NFL right now? Like, all of a sudden, it took him a few years for people to start throwing his name along the likes of DeAndre Hopkins and Devontae Adams as being perhaps the best receiver in the league. We need to be asking a new question this year. Are we watching the peak of one of the greatest receivers in NFL history? And I'm not speaking hyperbolically. I'm, I'm not saying like, okay, but he's not like, no. No caveats, no buts. Is Tyreek Hill in the midst of putting together a Hall of Fame career? And I think there is a lot, a lot of data to suggest that he absolutely is. Tyreek this season currently ranks second in the league in receptions. He ranks fourth in the league in receiving yards, and he ranks third in the league in receiving touchdowns. Through 10 games, he's on pace for 127 catches 
which would shatter his career high of 87 from last year, which, by the way, he's 12 away from. I'm not expecting it to happen this week, but like he, if he 12 catches this week, he's tied his career high <laughs> in 11 games. That's absurd. He is pacing for 127 catches, uh, over 1,450 yards, and about 14 touchdowns. That is an all-pro season, which shouldn't come as much of a surprise. If I would have told you before the season he was going to do this, you probably wouldn't have been surprised because, well, he was an all-pro last season. What's impressive about it, Grant, is that he's doing this despite how defenses have changed how they're covering him this year. He's not being utilized in the same way because the same things that were available maybe in years past for Tyreek Hill aren't there anymore, mainly the deep shot. Defenses are effectively taking away the deep passing game from the Chiefs. This isn't any surprise. We've talked about it ad nauseum on this station over the past couple of months. When Tyreek has gotten loose, a lot of times we've seen Patrick Mahomes miss him. Just, you know, one step off, one click off. It's the difference between a a 70-yard touchdown and an incompletion in second and 10. But we know that those are throws Mahomes normally makes. We know that eventually he's going to connect on a couple of those, and that's the difference between the Chiefs getting blown out and the Chiefs maybe winning some of those games early in the season. Like even last week, as good as the Chiefs' offense looked, Mahomes didn't push the ball down the field all that often. I think he only connected on one of them. And oddly enough, it was that jump ball throw that he threw to Daryl Williams. But we saw him miss one on Tyreek deep. We saw him miss one on McCole Hardman deep as well. Like eventually some of those are going to connect. Instead, Tyreek has been forced to sort of adapt his game into being this underneath threat who's catching the ball five yards downfield. He's relying more upon getting yards after catch and just making guys miss, which turns out he's incredibly effective at as well. Here is Tyreek after the game on Sunday talking about how he's sort of been forced to adjust this year. It's hard, man, especially for me, man, because I'm used to going 80 every play, you know. So, man, I just, you know, Coach Reed, he got to just keep me calm on the sideline, you know, because I'm a head case, man. I'm used to going, like I said, used to going down the field and not guys got me running 12-yard ends, and that's not something I'm used to. So we're all, like, we're all adjusting our games, you know? So that's why we that's why we in the NFL, you know? Yeah, but some guys, when forced to adjust their games, can't make the adjustment. Like, maybe it feels easy for Tyreek because he's got something that very few players in the history of the NFL have ever had, which is that level of speed. That's why I think we need to shift the conversation. It, I... Like the, the calling him a deep threat is almost insulting at this point. It's as if he's a one trick pony, as if there's only one way he can beat you. And if you take that away, he's just not simply as effective. The greats, when you talk about not just the best receivers in the NFL right now, but when you talk about the best receivers in the NFL of all time, none of them are one trick ponies. Like when you say deep threats in my lifetime, like somebody I consider to be one of the better deep threats in the NFL over the past decade, Deshaun Jackson, right? But Deshaun Jackson was never a guy who was an elite route runner. He was never a guy who was a a huge threat to beat you underneath. Tyreek is proving he can do that. There are no more caveats with Tyreek Hill. He went from effectively playing like Randy Moss 
to now being able to play like Michael Thomas, to be a, a reception, a, a, a possession receiver. I'll beat you underneath. I'll catch the ball 10 times a game. I'll cut up field. I'll turn a five-yard out route into a 20-yard explosive play. However this offense chooses to employ him, however defenses try to defend him, he's finding a way to be one of the most productive receivers in the NFL. And through what is now his sixth season, I mean, you can count the guys on one hand in the modern era of the NFL who have started the season as productive or started their careers as productively as he has. Like anybody on this side of Jerry Rice and Randy Moss, he is in that conversation. Like the Marvin Harrisons, the Terrell Owens, the Calvin Johnsons, like that's those are the guys. That's the company he keeps with the season that he's having. And I'm telling you right now, if he finishes the year the way that he started, if he if he tracks to catch 115, 120 balls, if he's going to go for 13, 14, 1,500 yards, if he's going to go for 12, 13, 14 touchdowns this season, I, I don't think there's anything else he would – he could retire after this season. I think he's going into the the Hall of Fame. Calvin Johnson effectively did that. Calvin Johnson retired early. But he had the numbers, he had the track record to say, okay, this is one of the best we've ever seen. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He is a three-time All-Pro. He is tracking to be a four-time All-Pro this year. In seven seasons, only six of which, I mean, he wasn't even a full-time wide receiver his first year. He got one start at receiver the first year. When he was an All-Pro that season, he was an All-Pro as a returner. We always we all remember the Jalen Ramsey. Remember the Jalen Ramsey? I think it was like a GQ piece, and he's breaking down all these receivers, breaking down all these quarterbacks, and he's basically just dumping on all of them, saying they're not that good. Oh, Tyreek Hill, you know, call me. Okay, you're an All-Pro as a as a returner. Call me when you're an All-Pro as a receiver. Well, he's done that two times since then, and he's about to do it a third time. I don't think there's any player. I don't think there's any pass catcher in the NFL, maybe on this side of Cooper Cup, who teams would least like to go up against. And what's different about Cooper Cup? And Tyreek Hill is that this is the first time we've seen this from Cooper Cup. At this point, we should just expect, regardless of how the Chiefs employ him, regardless of what other teams are trying to do to slow him down, you're going to get ridiculous numbers and ridiculous games from Tyreek Hill. I think he's the most difficult receiver in the NFL to game plan for, and that is what gives me hope that regardless of what else happens, whatever else changes, whoever else is sort of held in check offensively for the Chiefs, Tyreek Hill is going to get his. And with that speed... And his threat as an explosive playmaker, that's the type of player that's going to give you a chance to break a game open when it seems like nothing else is working. All right, it's about half past 10. We're going to talk to Pete Sweeney of Arrowhead Pride coming up at the top of the 11 o'clock hour. One player could be making their return today, and it couldn't come as a better time. I'll tell you who it is and why next. This is Bink Sunday on 610 Sports Radio. You're listening to Bink Sunday on your official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. You're listening to Bink Sunday on 610 Sports Radio. I am Nick Schwartz with Grant Nicholson. If you want to join in on the conversation, shoot me a text. Jay Southland, tow service text line 913-576-7610. Somebody from the 816. Tyreek Hill is short, and when his speed drops, that's going to catch up with him. 
Yeah, I mean, you can do. I think this is that's a universal truth in all sports. Like just the idea that when somebody, uh, when a basketball player, when like Russell Westbrook, when his, his athleticism leaves him, does he have enough game otherwise to still be effective? That's the question. Yeah, eventually, Tyreek Hill is not going to be the fastest player in the NFL. He's 27 right now, and it doesn't look like he's lost a step. When does that usually happen? I think it's different for everybody. I would say like the other guy I think of as like the greatest deep threat I've ever seen, the greatest deep threat maybe in the history of the NFL is Randy Moss. And his best season came in New England at age 30. That was the year he set the touchdown record at 23. And he was doing it in large part by killing teams downfield. So, And, and Tyreek Hill doesn't seem like one of those guys who uh, shies away from a good workout. He, he seems to be no, yeah, in I, the gym. He's not coming into camp overweight, underweight, looking a step slow. He seems pretty on top of it physically year in and year out. Turns out, uh... Tyreek Hill, elite level athleticism. Um, he tends to work on that. You're right. I would agree with that. And the other thing is, that's kind of the point of what I was talking about in that last conversation is that, yeah, eventually that speed is going to leave him and eventually he's not going to be able to be that deep threat. And, and speed's a huge, huge, huge part of what makes him so effective. But what he's also transitioned into is one of the best route runners in the NFL. And those sorts of guys who can constantly create separation. Like when I think of elite route runners, I think of Devontae Adams. I think of Amari Cooper, uh, who, by the way, not going to play today for the Cowboys. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but that is huge. That is a huge loss, not because of what necessarily he does production-wise, but just because of what sort of matchups that, that creates. Michael Gallup's only played two games. One of them was last week. So when you have... Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb as your number one and number two and, and no Amari Cooper, what that effectively does is it doesn't allow CeeDee Lamb to play the slot where he has killed for the first two seasons of his career. Like CeeDee Lamb is it when when utilized in the slot is maybe the best slot receiver in the NFL. Well now he's gonna play on the outside, which means that instead of potentially going up against your nickel corner, whoever that ends up being. He is now going to be, for the most part, defended by Legereus Sneed or Rashad Fenton, who's having an incredible year at cornerback. Those are the mismatches that you actually want to see as opposed to all of a sudden having Amari Cooper on Legereus Sneed. Now maybe Michael Gallup's defended by Rashad Fenton. Your best two cover defenders aren't on maybe the best wide receiver in CeeDee Lamb. So those mismatches, those matchups aren't really going to be there this week without Amari Cooper. That is a huge, huge loss for the Cowboys. And they're missing their their starting left tackle, Tyron Smith. Like, that's massive as well. That maybe gives you a little bit more confidence that this improved pass rush is going to be uh, effective once again against a really good offensive line. Frank Clark's been healthy. Melvin Ingram has been a godsend the first two games that we've seen from him in the Chiefs unit. They didn't take... Not much of a learning curve from Melvin Ingram coming in. Turns out just saying, hey, just go get that guy. Go run after the quarterback. Do whatever you do. Just get to him. Yeah, that's been a pretty effective game plan. And now Chris Jones back on the inside, getting back to being more of that home wrecker. Somebody from the uh, 620 wants to know, Nick, are you actually going to make a pick on today's game or going to dodge it like on Cody and Gold? First off, I resent the implication that I am dodging picks on Cody and Gold. I just haven't had time. I, they, it always catches me off guard. We get to Friday at like 158, I forget that we're supposed to make picks. And 
Um, I just haven't had enough time to really analyze the data and, and pour through it. But I got uh, I got about an hour 20 left in this show, so I'll, uh, I'm going to work on it, okay? But I'm not going to make any promises whatsoever. It sounds like we're going to get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire back in the lineup for the Chiefs. We haven't seen him since he went out uh, in the second half against that Bills game, and this team has been a completely different rushing attack since then. It's weird. The timing of it couldn't have been any worse because that was at the point where it became abundantly clear teams are daring you to run the ball. you got to take the underneath stuff. you got to take runs. You have to take what defenses are giving you. And at about that time was when Edwards Hilaire went down. And it's a, it's a, uh, Darrell Williams was great last week. That was awesome to see, especially how effective he was in the past game. But make no mistake about it. It's a big drop-off. It's a big drop-off in talent between Edwards Hilaire and Darrell Williams, specifically for the reasons that the Chiefs drafted Edwards Hilaire in the first round. Now, that was a mistake. It just was. You can't argue it. Like, if you're going to draft a running back in the first round, there were plenty of better options. Like, you could have taken Jonathan Taylor. You could have taken DeAndre Swift. You could have taken uh, Gibson from Washington. Edwards Hilaire was the guy you went with, and thus far the returns haven't been great, at least in comparison to some of those other guys. But there are still things he does well. There are still plenty of ways for him to be effectively utilized in this offense. And I think one of those big ways is the passing attack. We saw Darrell Williams have a career game, nine catches, over 100 yards, that big touchdown, uh, that deep downfield that, I mean, there's basically a jump ball to a guy who's not known as a pass-catching receiver. But that's what defenses are giving you. They're saying, we're going to let you have this stuff underneath. We're not going to put bodies on Darrell Williams because we don't trust him to be able to make the first guy miss. There may not be a defender within five yards of him, but they're going to close in on him, and it's not going to become that explosive play because there are ways to get explosive plays out of the backfield. Just watch Christian McCaffrey. Watch DeAndre Swift. These are the guys who can make that first dude miss, and that's the difference between it being a five- or six-yard gain and it being a 15-, 20-yard gain. That's the difference between defenses being forced to adjust and them just saying, nope, we'll give you that all game long because we know you're not going to beat us with it. Now, last week was the first time we saw them be really effective in targeting the running backs. As good as Edwards Hilaire has been this season, he was really effective rushing the ball early, but that is not really what the scouting report was on him coming out of college. Like We thought one of the big reasons that they targeted him in the first round was because they wanted a pass catching back. He was a prolific pass catcher with that LSU offense in 2019. Great. Do you, do you have any idea? Do you have any idea uh, what Edwards Hilaire's pass catching numbers are? He's effectively played four and a half games this year. Do you have any idea what his receiving numbers look like this year? Like eight catches for like 45 yards. That's Pure close. Guess. That's a really good guess. Eight catches for 61 yards. Eight catches in four and a half games. He had three for 29 in week one versus Cleveland. That is his best game receiving this year. He had two for nine against the Chargers. He had two for 12 against Philly. He had one for 11 against Buffalo. Like, they're not even looking his way. They are not even looking his way out of the backfield. Now, things have changed since then. And I'm going to be fascinated to see how he is utilized. I don't know how much we're going to see of Clyde today. You have the bye next week. I feel like you're not going to overuse him. One of the conversations that drives me absolutely insane is the conversation of, well, should the Chiefs rush him back or should they give him more time to get ready? I 
I, I know that I, I'm, I'm sure there are instances of guys being rushed back and being put back on the field before they're ready. But for the most part, like if there is a chance of re-injury, like if Andy Reid is meeting with Rick Burkholder and the training staff and they're saying, okay, here's where he's at in his recovery. Um, this is the likelihood. I don't know what these conversations are like, but like this is the likelihood of him getting re-injured today or he's full go. He's good. It's just about, can he trust it? Whatever. I have a hard time believing coaching staffs are putting guys out there if they think there's a chance of re-injury. Like, Angie Reid knows the long game here. He knows that you can't really afford to lose this guy for the entirety of the season. And if there is even a slight chance that, like, he's not ready to go, I can't imagine he's pulling the trigger. But one thing we do know about Andy Reid and playing guys who are injured or coming back from injury and practicing throughout the week is if they don't practice on Friday, they're probably not playing on Sunday. Clyde edwards Elair. Practiced all week. He's listed technically, I mean, officially, he is listed as questionable, but he practiced all week. He's back on the injury report. He was activated. Like, I expect him to play, and if you're going to play him, I would expect that you're going to utilize him the same way you were early in the season. Now, he's not a workhorse. He's not going to get every single touch. Daryl Williams, if healthy, is still going to get playing. If it's not Daryl Williams, it'll be some combination of Jarek McKinnon or probably more likely Derek Gore, I think, McKinnon's more of a Edwards Elaire replacement, third down back, receiving back than he is a guy who you want to run between the tackles, but you got a great interior offensive line. And if you want to run the ball in between the tackles, maybe it will be the Derek Gore week, even though I thought two weeks ago and last week was going to be Derek Gore time. And we never really saw it, but I don't think we're going to be able to see Daryl Williams have a week, a game a performance receiving like he did against the Raiders because this Cowboys defense they may not be world beaters, but you know who they got? Micah Parsons, who they drafted in the first round out of Penn State this past year. And it turns out he's a pretty good open field tackler. I don't know if I trust Daryl Williams to make that first guy miss the way he was making guys routinely miss or just bullying, running dudes over last week against the Raiders. You have to, if you're going to be a prolific pass catching back, you have to have a little agility. You have to have that shiftiness to be able to make that first guy miss, turn it upfield, and turn it into a big play. The only guy on this roster that's capable of doing that in this Chiefs running back room is Edward Hilaire. I don't think his return could come at a better time. And if he is able to be a full go today, I expect him to be utilized and I expect him to be quite effective in the process. This could be, I think as a pass catcher, this could be the type of game that we've been sort of waiting for for a year and a half from Edward Hilaire. It just all depends on how healthy he is and how much of him we're actually going to see. It's about a quarter till 11. Pete Sweeney, Arrowhead Pride, going to join us coming up in 15 minutes. This is Bink Sunday. You're listening to Bink Sunday on your official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. Pete Sweeney of Arrowhead Pride, the Plaid Prince going to join us coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. I want to talk to him about Edward Hilaire's return, what that means for this offense, how much we expect to see of him, and all these Cowboys injuries sort of stacking up at the worst time. We talked about Amari Cooper, talked about Tyron Smith, the left tackle, Randy Gregory, pass rusher. That's a big loss as well, especially for a Chiefs offensive line that's looked so good on the interior, but the tackles... Orlando Brown at left, and then the revolving door 
At right tackle, first it was Lucas Niang, then back to Mike Rimmers, Austin Wiley. So uh, that could prove to be very beneficial as well. I'm Nick Schwert. You can normally hear me producing Cody and Gold weekdays from 10 to 2. Also, uh, the host of one of our, our producer, Grant Nicholson. It's one of your favorite podcasts I know. Uh, the Wave and the Wheat podcast. I tune in every week. I know, yeah. which is which is nice of you, considering you're not even a KU fan, right? You're you're a diehard. Yeah, I went to the other school, the other yeah, one yeah. down the road. You had the fact that you even referred to it as the other school. That's something that yeah, me hey. as a KU fan would say. I would call it the other school, but even you, I'm trying to help school. you out. Thank you, man. Wave that wheat. That's right. Hey, I will get your wheat ready. That's right. Wave and the wheat podcast. Check it out on the Odyssey app. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm excited to see what this is going to look like this afternoon because this is the first time that the Chiefs, like, since that Tennessee game a month ago, have not only been playing good football but now have an opportunity to validate it. We thought that was going to be the Packers game, and then Aaron Rodgers got COVID. So that changed things pretty dramatically. The Cowboys aren't at full strength, but... I feel like this is going to be a fascinating chess match between Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator for the Cowboys, who is one of the top up-and-coming play callers in the NFL. Maybe he's not even up-and-coming anymore. Maybe he's just up. And Steve Spagnuolo. I thought it was so silly early in the season when the defense was struggling and we were just resigned to the idea that Steve Spagnuolo was a dead man walking, that this was going to be, he's not going to get, Andy Reid's not going to fire anybody midseason, but that at the end of the year, he was going to be shown the door for whatever schematic disadvantage. When, when the Chiefs were playing, and maybe you fault him for playing guys like Ben Neiman as much as he was, you fault him for playing Dan Sorensen as much as he was, but it all seemed a little silly to me when you looked at the front and you saw that, you were getting nothing from Frank Clark when he was out there. He wasn't out there very often. That Jaron Reed, you basically had to put out an APB for him until last week versus the Raiders. We hadn't seen him do anything. The Chiefs were getting absolutely no pressure. And we know Spags likes to blitz. And it, it wasn't working. They're blitzing as much as anybody in the NFL. And they're getting less pressure than anybody in the NFL. It doesn't matter who you have at the second level. If you're not getting any pressure and you like to blitz, you have no chance. Like, yes, Dan Sorensen is bad. Yes, Dan Sorensen should not be on the field. But if he is going to be out there, he should not be expected to cover Stephon Diggs for 10 seconds downfield, which is what was happening. Now, all of a sudden, you're getting healthy. Juan Thornhill has sort of taken over as that starting safety. Willie Gay and Nick Bolton, like, there's going to be a rotation. There's going to be three, there's going to be three linebackers who get significant snaps. So, like, we're going to see Anthony Hitchens still. We're going to see Ben Neiman in spurts. But for the most part, like the guys who should be starting and should be playing defensively are starting and are playing defensively. Now you've got a healthy Frank Clark. Chris Jones is back on the inside. Jaron Reed, I don't know if I'm expecting to see that every week, but finally we saw the Jaron Reed that we thought we were going to see when they signed him from Seattle this offseason. Melvin Ingram has been incredible on the other side. Now you've got a nice little rotation going up front. You're getting more pressure on the quarterback. What's going to be interesting is how are you going to get pressure on Dak Prescott. We uh, we had Bob Sturm from the Ticket On in Dallas on Friday on Cody and Gold, and he said it's suicide. It is suicide to blitz Dak Prescott. I mean, we've seen how Chiefs uh, teams have changed how they're defending the Chiefs. You can't blitz Patrick Mahomes. If you blitz him, 
He's going to do the math in his head, figure out where the mismatch is, and he's going to exploit it game in, game out. He's going to find the big plays. It's, it is it is suicide. But it's not just a Patrick Mahomes thing. We're seeing it more and more. We're seeing it more against uh, Matt Stafford, who kills against the Blitz. We're seeing it more now against Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott has 15 of his 20 touchdowns against the Blitz this year. You cannot pressure him. We know Spags likes the Blitz, though. So that, to me, is the biggest question in this sort of chess match. We know... What Dak Prescott does, he is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. You can't blitz him, but you have to get pressure on him. Otherwise, if you just let him sit back there and make decisions, like all the great quarterbacks, he's going to find the open receiver downfield, and he's got as good of an arm as anybody in the NFL. How can the Chiefs get pressure? Do we expect Spags to be stubborn? Do we expect there to be this level of, no, we do what we do, and we're not going to change that first this offense, or is there going to be some sort of trick up his sleeve where he's going to be able to disrupt the timing of Dak Prescott without sending extra blitzers. Because if you do that, there's enough evidence to suggest he's going to find a way to pick you apart. Let's talk about that with Pete Sweeney, Arrowhead Bride. He's going to join us coming up next. One hour down, one hour to go. This is Bink Sunday, 610 Sports Radio. You're listening to Bink Sunday on your official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 